You're listening to Family Petals, the podcast for people questioning the status quo and living life a little bit differently. I'm your host, Sarah Copper. Today, Dave Cohen joins me on the show. He is the founder of V-Bike, a nonprofit organization that is working to make the biking culture in Vermont more inclusive and fun, specifically by promoting cargo bikes and electric assist technology. I think you'll enjoy his take on the value of e-assist bikes and on how cycling affects our connection to our senses, our bodies, and the world around us. Dave, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on Family Pedals. Well, I'm excited to be on Family Pedals. I'm really looking forward to getting into some of the details about the organization that you helped found and the work that you're doing in Vermont. But before we get into the nitty gritty of that, why don't you give us a brief introduction to yourself and your active transportation story? Sure. Well, uh, active transportation. Well, I was born into the world very actively. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> beyond that, i uh, always been inspired by hiking, walking, biking. And it was when I moved to California that I really realized that biking is such a, an important part of my life and countering this car culture that I was seeing all around me. And I started a company called Pedal Express in Berkeley, California, that used a whole fleet of cargo bikes. And that was back in the early 90s. And it was just a, a massive amount of fun. And it's still going on today. And uh, I ended up moving to Vermont and becoming a therapist and really connecting therapy and, and active transportation and, and bikes together. Okay. I love that you were doing this back in the early 90s. Is that something where having cargo bikes on the roads then, was that pretty common in California at the time? Or was that more everybody is shocked to see that and very curious about what's going on with that situation? Yeah, it was it was something very different. People hadn't seen these types of bikes, big box feats, front-loading uh, cargo bikes. Mm-hmm. It was pretty colorful. We had the emblem of one less car on the, on the front of the bikes. Uh, the back of our shirt said, our other car isn't one either. So we were like a moving kind of billboard for like, hey, let's think about this differently. It was really an introduction of cargo bikes into the Bay Area. And now you're just seeing them all over the place. And we were starting just when ExerCycle was getting started too. So it was really interesting to watch the genesis of that. Yeah. I love hearing about that because I feel really fortunate that I started getting into it once so many people had already pioneered the way, which made it much easier for my family. So it's cool to hear about things that were happening years ago to start us on that path. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the difference between what you've experienced being in Vermont for the last decade versus your time in San Francisco, because those seem like very different environments to be using active transportation and just kind of what you've noticed between the two places. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was living in Berkeley, mainly. A bicycle boom is happening there, and there's all kinds of things that are going on. I'm just watching the change that happened. Uh, coming to Vermont, you know, I thought everybody was like totally rugged here. Everybody's outdoors. They're, they're doing everything they, they, they can to just express that in their Vermontness. And found out that, you know, the bicycle is basically a toy here. That it's seen just largely as a thing that you put on top of your car and uh, you have to get dressed up in all kinds of neon clothes. I mean, I know that from the Bay Area, that you have that culture as well. But that's basically all it's been here you know, outside of Burlington. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys got around and the ages of the kids in your family? 
Well, we just have one 11-year-old. And back in the Bay Area, we had one of the uh, long-haul cargo bikes, mm -hmm. that the uh, same kind of bike that we use for Pell Express, which is a box seat style bike. And we outfitted it with a car seat that was easily removable. And uh, so my son was facing me. And so that was great. It was just a great way to start really getting into the family cycling thing. But then we moved to Vermont because we really wanted uh, greener pastures. And uh, both my wife and I are more mountains and rivers folks. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to move to Brattleboro, Vermont. And the box seat style bike does nicely here, except for during the snowy weather, the front wheel, uh, there's not that much weight over the front wheel. So during the winter, it's not that great. So we ended up getting a Yuba Mundo, the El Mundo. That was a revelation that got me started uh, and restarted back into bike advocacy. Well, that's a great transition to talking about the organization that you started. Tell us a little bit about V-Bike and the idea behind it and what you guys do. Well, yeah. So after grad school, we bought this Yuba Mundo. And so I just started having this great experience carrying my son around. We were just like giggling. <laughs> uh, before that, we were riding either the Bach feats, which was like impossible to go up many of the hills around here because we're in a river valley. But we made it to amazing places with that. And then we got a trailer bike and we would climb just enormous hills with that, with my son on the back. But, you know, there's only so far my legs are going to take me. And finally, I decided that if we're going to ride every day and like take him up to school all the way up these hills, we needed an electric cargo bike. So we just started having some great experiences, as I said, lots of giggles and just like, wow, you know, this is amazing. And I started talking to one of our legislators who lives in town, and she's on the transportation committee for the state house. And I was talking to her about my bike, and it turned out that her brother lives in San Francisco, and I knew her brother is like a really cool bike activist. So we kind of really started bonding on that. And so I gave her a whole bunch of talking points about what Vermont could do with you know, cargo bikes, expanding the role of the bike, getting out of the, the idea of the bike as a boy, the toyification of the bike, and really expanding its role, making it robust. There's all kinds of designs and technologies out there. And she passed on uh, the word to our Department of Transportation, VTrans. VTrans has a separate department for alternative transportation, Go Vermont. And the program director there set up a meeting. I just sat down with him. And I thought they were just going to you know, take the ideas. And then he looked at me and he said, uh, so how many hours a week do you think you can do this? Wow. And I kind of looked at him. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, how many hours a week? You know, we can draw up a contract. I'm like, what are you talking about? Finally, I understood he was, he was saying they would hire me as a consultant. And he left the cafe that we were meeting at. And I was just staring out the window, just going like, what just happened here? And so I ended up with this contract to provide consultations for Vermonters and bike shops around uh, cargo bikes, uh, electric assist options, family bikes of all sorts, or bikes for seniors, uh, for businesses, for commuters. What a great story. I love how we can often have this negative idea of interaction with public officials and that they're not really interested in change. So how wonderful to hear a story about people who are really wanting to make a difference and wanting to move things forward, not just check off boxes of, yes, I listen to my constituent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's dive in a little bit deeper in terms of what you guys are doing and the philosophy behind it. Let's start by just having you go into the basics of what you're offering to people right now. 
The consultations are absolutely key, and we we call it rebooting the bike or rebooting the bike in Vermont, and so that you know creates some excitement. And we call the the consultations, you know, tongue in cheek a little bit, but we call it car reduction therapy. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because that's my role as a psychotherapist, but I really see this as a form of therapy for the community. And so the consultations are great. You know, we got some press about it, but. And then getting the bike shops to carry the bikes is absolutely essential. That was a big part of the thing is to get the bike shops on board. But there was something missing in that the bike shops, you know, they'd carry a couple bikes here and there. They'd have the electric assist add-on kits. But there was really nothing for people to come out and try a full-blown cargo bike with, you know, lighting systems and totally set up to carry the kids. Mm -hmm. So one of the things uh, we decided that we had to do was build up a demo fleet. The Take It Home project came out of this demo fleet because uh, we got to give people a hands-on live experience of what it feels like. And once they, they do that, people get the bug. And sometimes it takes a while. And I've worked with people sometimes a year, sometimes even a year and a half before they finally make the jump. But that hands-on experience and trying different kinds of bikes. And uh, so you, now we're starting to see them circulate around town. And that's really the key to it is making it really normal, making it look so much fun and getting families to, to become these pioneers that then really propel this into a whole nother level. Yes. You mentioned briefly how it intertwines with the therapy work that you do. And when we were chatting before this interview, you had talked about the idea of how our engagement with our bodies in different modes of transportation and how different that is. I was wondering if you could share some of those insights that you have that you've seen from your own life and from the work that you're doing with other families. Yeah. So what's interesting is that we do get emails from families just right off just saying like they're sick of being in their cars, which is music to my ears. Just like, ah, oh, yes, <laughs> that's what we want to hear because people are starting just to get the idea. First of all, that we're at a junction of time where we actually have to be authentic about what we're doing and looking at the end game of the automobile, which is a, a machine that is hacking and subverting and, and kind of colonizing our bodies because our bodies are becoming disengaged. And when you look at a person in an automobile and they're, they're passing by 30, 40 miles an hour, you can wave to them and they'll barely even notice you. Or maybe they won't notice you at all. And so th there's this uh, idea that, that the machine is putting us into a separate reality and colonizing, subverting and overriding our sensory experience of the world, our social and ecological experience of the world, while it disengages our bodies. And through subverting our, our sensory awareness, our sensory attunement to the world, it is disconnecting our emotional connection to the world as well. So it's really basic psychology and neuropsychology. It's like this is not rocket science. If we uh, subvert, override, really take our sensory awareness away from, from the world, we're going to have less of an uh, affinity, an emotional connection to what's outside of the automobile. Yes, it makes total sense. And one thing I've really gained from doing these interviews on the podcast is when people talk about what they have gained from including more active transportation and moving away from cars, most people talk about that sense of connection to community and that feeling that I don't think is what people first think of when they think about going by bike. I think that the stereotypical thing is, oh, it's more environmentally friendly to bike. And it saves money if you're not driving a car. 
that's one thing that I really hope that other people start to see as one of those immediate benefits of going by bike is those intangible things that are harder to describe unless you're experiencing them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this whole range of things that have happened that we can't even put into words. Uh, it's uh, a language beyond words. It's our sensory, spiritual attunement, whatever you want to call it. It's this experience of the real world. That, that's a huge part of it for people. They're noticing they're reengaging their bodies and their senses. And a lot of people say they can't ride because they say it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I hear that from a lot of from moms and dads. And then we talk about how the e-assist and the cargo bikes it mitigates for some of the crappy infrastructure we have. But but the other point is, is that the automobile uh, and the whole infrastructure and, and the just the sheer number of cars is what drives us back into the car. And the ecology of fear that they create is exactly what people are scared of. People are scared of what we're creating. They're fearful of this world that we're making and, and co-creating all the time. Let's create something new and something really different and something beautiful and something really connected. Yes. It's so hard. It's that chicken and the egg problem. People would feel safer if more people were biking, but more people won't bike until it feels safer. And so the status quo continues. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we talk about is not only does the automobile colonize our bodies and our senses and our emotional connection, but also colonizes our opinions about what we do. So uh, often when people express opinions I, about what they're doing, I often say like, it sounds like what I call automobilism, that the automobile has literally taken over certain uh, certain mindset that we have. And our answers tend to be these pat answers about, well, you know, I can't do that or that seems impossible or it's too dangerous. It almost seems like the automobile is speaking through their mouths and kind of takes, takes away our ability to think creatively. I'm curious to go into that a little bit more. When you're talking about automobilism and people letting cars speak for them, can you give a specific example of ways that you see that happening? It's just the way that people try to end the conversation almost right away, like, oh, I can never do that, mm -hmm. uh, without giving a thought to how the automobile is affecting their bodies and, and their children. Or, you know, people that, that say that uh, that's not for me. Really quick things like that. It's like coded language to get out of this discomfort of this conversation. Again, when, once the automobile takes over an aspect of a, us, which, you know, it takes over the parts of us that like comfort, that like protection from the world, that really want to have that power within the world and not have to bear witness to what we're doing. So I think that's the part of the conversation that will try and shut down the conversation. You know, you often hear that, you know, I can never ride in the cold. I can never do this. I can never do that. That's not for me. Um, there's a whole range of things that you hear. Yes, I have been in many similar conversations, and it's always such a pleasure when people approach it with curiosity instead of with defensiveness. And this idea of, I wonder if I could, or I wonder what that would look like. And that's often the first step is to not shut it down, but to really be curious and think about the possibilities, even if it seems like something that you wouldn't be interested in or that wouldn't work. Yeah, you, it's great when you get that opening, and sometimes it happens where somebody just says, so what's it like? And I can say, it's so much fun. And my, my son and I connect when we're riding to school. We just rode to school this morning. It was drizzly and rainy. We just love it. You know, we're out, especially in Vermont. I mean, geez, in Vermont, it's just so gorgeous. And we're experiencing the changing of the seasons. 
we saw a pileated woodpecker today and after I dropped him off, I just took a little excursion, just went on this dirt road and saw some evidence of beaver markings and tons of birds and just watching the, the seasons change and, and really being in it. We have found the same thing as a family, feeling much more in touch with what's happening around us in our community and in our environment. There's a book by Richard Louvre called Last Child in the Woods, and he creates this thing called Nature Deficit Disorder, and a lot of folks might be familiar with that. And yeah, that's a real problem. And, and it sounds like your family has discovered like, hey, we've got to be out in the social and ecological realm. Because Nature Deficit Disorder, while he made this up, I think is a very real thing that's going on. I totally agree. I was actually just talking to a friend about that book last week. It's something I come back to often is just thinking about how can I create those experiences for my kids? And walking and biking does create those opportunities in a really natural way. It doesn't have to be, okay, today our family is going hiking in the woods and we're going to go travel to go do that. But just how is walking to school through our local park giving us those opportunities to be connected to nature? And that's been really powerful. Building it right into your everyday experience, yeah. Yes. Well, we talked a little bit about how it is easy to feel defensive and to want to shut down when people are questioning the way that you're doing things. And I think that is a really natural human reaction and is one that I know that I've had when faced with different scenarios as well. But I loved what you touched on earlier about how electric assist and electric assist cargo bikes can help mitigate some of those fears that people have around biking with their kids. And I'd love for you to expand on that and the ways that you see electric cargo bikes as opening doors that maybe people didn't even know were there. The, uh, the way I like to explain the electric cargo bike, and certainly it's needed where we live in a good deal of Vermont, is very hilly. The bike infrastructure isn't so great, except for the city of Burlington. But I explain it as the ultimate hybrid. I mean, you can't get better than this. It's a human body in conjunction with these uh, electric assist. And it gives you a certain level of ownership and control over the road because sometimes you need to go a little bit faster. And a road that has a narrow shoulder, if you need to take over the road, it's really possible. Mm -hmm. And if you have kids on board, even more so, you really need to kind of level the playing field a little bit. Even in flat places, I would think that some level of assist could be really helpful to mitigate for infrastructure that's subpar. And a lot of people say, well, that's not so green, you know, you're using batteries and all, you know, all that. And one thing I, I always like to point out, the bicycle itself is not green. There's nothing green about a bicycle. It's an industrial product. There's paints, there's metals, there's, you know, plastics, there's all, a whole range of things that, that are used for it. Bicycle itself is not a green thing. It allows us to express our greenness through us. We're the ones who are green. Our senses, our, our energy, our ability to use our bodies. So in some ways, it's a great match of using technology in a very mindful way to augment our power and our ability to be mobile with our kids. And so, you know, electric assist just opens up all kinds of doors, not just for families, but for seniors. I mean, uh, Vermont has the second oldest population in, in the U.S. And we've hooked up with the AARP a bit and something we want to do a lot more of to really help seniors get out because the health of seniors is really dependent on how active they are and how included they are in community. And we've gotten a lot of seniors on bikes and it's just great to see all of them on these bikes with the little electric assist kits on them. Uh, we're waving to people constantly and seeing people that we've never seen 
out in the community the, the way they should be. And so it opens up doors and opens up wheels for all kinds of people. Yes, absolutely. And active transportation and going places by bike does not need to be some sort of purist ideal. And I think there's often this idea that if you're using electric assist, it's cheating and that you should be only using your body to do it. And I love how you're pushing back against that idea. And it does not need to be all one or all the other. And the more people on bikes, the better. I just think that that mindset is really exclusive and shuts things down and makes people not want to join in. And that it's so much more expansive and inclusive to be thinking, not how can we maintain this specific ideal that isn't productive, but how can we get more people riding and what are the best ways to achieve that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and V-Bike is so about not fetishizing the bicycle. It's about, it's a vehicle that can be huge amount of fun, but at the same time, it's transportation that transforms us. Transportation and metaphor are actually the same words. They both mean to carry over. Mm. If you take a look at the root, roots of both these words. And so our transportation is kind of like a metaphor for who we are and how we are in the world. The, the whole thing about making it as inclusive as possible, that's everything a V-bike is about. And I love to point out that bikes are not green because then, you know, people start thinking that you can have a green car. And that's absolutely absurd. The word green gets used for all kinds of things. I just want to make clear that the way we position ourselves is what is green is us and our connection to the world. And the e-assist is a sort of technology that allows us to express that and be, and be human in the world, which is really what V-Bike is about. Right. We don't need to get caught up in which way is the best way, but how can we be moving forward and what is practical and is actually going to work for people? That's the end goal, right? Is to be getting people more connected and exploring these different ways of getting from place to place. Yeah, yeah. And I do a lot of work uh, in eco-psychology. And the way that I like to frame it is that eco-psychology is a very, it's a huge field. But I think at its most fundamental, uh, most rudimentary is that we have bodies and we have senses and that Together, they help us to form an emotional connection to the world. That's why I look at V-Bike as really rudimentary. And what we're trying to do is just the absolute rudimentary of how to be a human being back in connection, back in attunement with uh, this lovely planet we live in, where, wherever it is you live. I love that. Well, let's circle back to the work that you guys are doing in Burlington and talking about what that outreach looks like in different parts of the state. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Feedbike has done a lot of work. We rent a big van and we pile a bunch of bikes in, into the van uh, and then we go off to other locations around Vermont. And it's part of the inception of Feedbike is to kind of spread the word around Vermont and show off what we have. But Feedbike also works very closely with Local Motion, which is our state bike ped group. They've been around for a long time, really effective group. And together, we both came up with this idea like, hey, why not have a similar kind of program up in Burlington to what V-Bike is doing down in Brattleboro? Brattleboro is in the southern tropics of Vermont, but Burlington is all the way up north and it's our big city, you know, 60,000 people. 
So I had some contacts with the Burlington Electric Department, and uh, Vermont's got some great utilities, particularly the municipally owned and run Burlington Electric Department has been at the forefront of a lot of energy conservation measures. Uh, also, the energy legislation in Vermont was rewritten back in uh, 2015 and really opened the door for utilities to be able to get renewable energy credits for replacing fossil fuels. And so all of a sudden, this opens up the door for the idea of not electric cargo bikes. Can utilities promote that? And so we had a meeting with the Burlington Electric Department, and now we have a signed contract for subsidies for the purchase of electric bikes in the Burlington area. It's the first of its kind, as far as we know of. And they're also uh, allotting a certain amount of money for us to build up an entire fleet. So in the spring, we're going to be rolling out a whole fleet of different kinds of bikes and cargo bikes, stuff for seniors, commuters, and families, and also the subsidy program. And the, the subsidies are kind of not as much as we'd like, but it's a good start. It's $200. Uh, folks uh, can decide to forego their subsidy and have their money put into a pot that can then to give low-income families a greater subsidy. And the subsidy covers everything from electric assist systems, so you can buy an e-assist kit, add it onto your bike, or a full electric assist bike. It's a real great start to model for the rest of the state, and I think it could be for the rest of the country. We're really excited about this program. I love hearing about all the ways that the government and these different organizations are working together to move this agenda forward. It can often feel like when you're trying to promote active transportation that you're running into all these barriers and roadblocks and that the overall system is not wanting that to succeed. And it's so encouraging to hear about the ways in which these institutions are also trying to make progress and support different modes of transit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another part of the V-Bike program is really uh, really look at bike shops differently and really kind of educate them about what the potential is for them as a business if they cater to a much larger audience. So, I mean, those things are obvious, you know, more inclusive, you're going to have just a greater clientele. And so one of our ideas is that we really want to move forward with, well, along with local motion, we've been talking about this idea of a certification for, for bike shops uh, to become green mobility centers. Are you catering to commuters? Are you catering to seniors, to kids, to families, maybe even to businesses and all kinds of other applications? Maybe there can be different levels of uh, being a green mobility center. And so that becomes a thing for shops. And then they start understanding that, yes, as we expand and, and become more inclusive, our clientele grows and that makes sense for business. It's a win-win when shops are recognizing that and becoming more approachable for a wider clientele. So let's move into these wrap-up questions, and I'm going to ask you to specifically speak to electric bikes as I ask these. Let's start with the biggest challenges of electric bikes and the biggest benefits of electric bikes. So the biggest challenges with electric bikes is definitely the technology it's kind of like if you look at the advent of the automobile, there are hundreds of automobile manufacturers in the U.S. in the very beginning. There was nothing that was standardized. And so 
there there would be these car manufacturers that go in and out of business and uh, very similar with electric bikes. A lot of things have, hadn't been standardized, battery technology, you know, the, the motors and controlling systems behind them. That's changing a bit right now, but there's still still challenge, you know, for bike shops to understand the technologies, particularly the batteries, but also to be able to repair motors because most of the bike shops have been oriented towards just the bicycle, not towards electric systems. Uh, that's been a challenge for, for folks. Also, there's just a lot of important information to learn about that a lot of bike shops don't really inform their, their clients about, but, you know, charging and, and how to really maintain your battery and your ESS system. And the, the real benefits, as we said, are just really opening up biking to a whole range of new people, people that don't identify as bicyclists and, or cyclists and maybe don't even ever have to because... Now, you go to Denmark and you say, you know, you tell people, hey, you got a really nice biking culture here. I'm glad you're a biker. And they'll look at you like you're from Mars. We bike here because we bike here. We use bikes. We're not cyclists. We use it for transportation. So I think that's the huge benefit. Also, for places like Vermont, again, mitigating for really bad infrastructure. So it allows for people to feel a heck of a lot safer, go much further. And then as far as winter riding, I just wanted to point that out. Electric assist is amazing because uh, you have way more traction. You can move a little bit faster when you need to, so you don't always have to freeze your butt off. But we do this ride to school. It's about three miles from our home. And if we didn't have electric assist, we would be frozen, literally head to toe uh, <laughs> in that three-mile ride. But with the electric assist, it really gets us there a lot faster and safer I have never really considered electric bikes as a benefit in the cold weather the way that you were describing. Do you have any other winter riding advice that you want to throw out there? Well, number one, winter riding is one of the most amazing things in Vermont. It just, it saved my butt. Uh, the first year we moved here, you know, I was a little, you know, I wasn't so happy about our move. I was pining for the Bay Area and winter came along. I'm going, oh God, what are we going to do now? And so I bought uh, some studded tires and all of a sudden I'm just like, wow, this is the greatest thing. Every time I go shopping, I'm having an adventure and I'm like engaged in the world. Um, and my pores are filled with the essence of Vermont. And I was just like blown away. Totally psychologically saved my, uh, my hiney. But as far as uh, advice, yeah, if you're going to be winter riding, certainly, you know, studded tires, you know, if you've got icy conditions are really important. Staying warm, of course, is the most important thing. You know, bar mitts are wonderful. They're one of the supporters of V-Bike. And those are these big neoprene mitts that fit onto your handlebars. And then you can put your gloves inside of them and still control your bike. Those are great. Keeping everything warm before you go out. And we have a pellet stove. We have our hats. We have everything, our, especially our shoes, near the pellet stove. So everything is pre-warmed and ready to go. On super cold days, we get dressed in everything while we're eating breakfast. And we, we get to critical heat. We're really hot. And we want to get outside. And once we get outside, we're on the bike. And we stay warm. And it's great. Yes. And I love the idea of shifting your mindset. I think that there is something really special about being outside when so many people are hunkered indoors and that it feels like it's all yours in this way that it doesn't in the summer. And that's something I wasn't expecting to enjoy about riding my bike, but I have found really motivating and powerful to wanting to get out there is just feeling like I own the road in these spaces in certain ways and that I'm getting to experience it in a different way than other people are. 
Yeah, and, and then all those other aspects that we can't even describe in, in, in language, you know, the sensory input, the nourishment that fills our body from you know, seeing trees, from feeling the wind, from actually experiencing the precipitation. We're mostly made of water anyway, so, you know. The most interesting aspect of automobilism, I think, is that when people see me, you know, dressed in my, in my rain clothes, and uh, they go like, oh, God, that, that, that seems like a lot to wear. I wouldn't want to wear that. I said, well, did you see what you were wearing? And they, they go, what are you talking about? You were in this metal box that you were wearing. Do you remember that? People don't understand that they're actually wearing this massive hunk of metal that is protecting them from, from the world. They're putting it on, but they don't realize it's an article of extreme clothing and separation from the world. I always find that just a fascinating topic to explore. Yes, I had Mark Stosberg on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And I think he made a comment on my Instagram, but he made some some reference to the fact that so many people use their car as weather protection. And I thought, huh, I hadn't ever really thought of it that way. But that's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I never met Mark, but I've seen some of his work and really inspired by what he did. Well, let me ask you one final question. What advice would you give someone who is interested or curious in finding an electric bike that would work for them or their family? Yeah, so of course, you know, surf around the internet, take a look at you know, the different styles of bikes that are out there. You're totally invited to look at the V-Bike website. We've got a whole section devoted to different kinds of bikes for families, for seniors, for commuters, business as well. So you're invited to come to that website, vbikesolutions.org. And certainly, if you can find somebody who has an electric bike, try that out. Hopefully, you have a bike shop that is informed about, about this and that they're carrying certain models that you can try out. If you can travel a little bit further to a shop that specializes in electric bikes, that would be really, really great. And then there's you know, the choice of do you want to buy something out of the box or do you want to electrify a bike that you already have or a bike that you want to buy? Uh, so you can purchase a conversion kit. And there's all kinds of conversion kits out there that either have a front hub motor, a rear hub motor, or what's even more popular right now that we've been playing around with uh, more than anything else are the mid-drive motors. And there's uh, a motor from a company called Bifang. They make a great mid-drive motor, which actually runs your chain wheel, and it combines it with the energy that you put in. The big benefit of the mid-drive motor is that it utilizes your gears in the rear. So the motor doesn't have to work as hard as long as you're using your gears properly. But, you know, more and more, there are more choices out there. So uh, just keep on snooping around. You can find the thing that will fit you. Yes, and I'll be sure to link to all these things that you've mentioned as well. So people can go right from the show notes to checking out all these different options. And what you'd mentioned is something that I also don't think everyone realizes is that most of the systems now are e-assist. So you're still pedaling and you can choose how much to engage it. So if there's times where you're wanting more help from the electric assist, that can happen. And then if there's times where you're just wanting to pedal on your own power, you can do that too, that they provide so many choices. It's not all or nothing. Yeah, on uh, many of our systems, there could be upwards of nine different levels of assist. So number one would be very light assist. So you're just pedaling. You don't have to do anything else. The e-assist will help kick in a certain amount. If you want to add in more power, you can do that with a little button. Most of the bikes we have also have a throttle on them, some kind of thumb throttle, which is really useful for cargo bikes. If you're trying to get started on a hill, 
and you have two kids and stuff on your bike, it's going to be really hard to get started unless you have a little throttle just to give you a little boost to get going. It's a real godsend for places like Vermont. The technology has really come along and it can feel really natural. And once you really get used to it, it just feels divine. Well, Dave, you've already mentioned the V-Bike website, but what are other ways that listeners can get in contact with you if they're interested in learning more or following what you're doing? Well, they can uh, certainly email me at dave at vbikesolutions.org. Just look up V-Bike Vermont. You'll see a whole bunch of articles uh, about what we're doing, interviews on VPR. That's our uh, Vermont public radio and that's it. You know, I hope that people do contact us. You know, if, if you if you're curious about it, our contract really is to work just with Vermonters, so we can't really help people outside of the state that much as far as choices. But hopefully, some of us talked about here can be helpful. And can I say the last thing? Sure, of course. One thing we really look at is the end game. The end game of automobiles. You know, the word automobile literally means automatic mobility, which. And is basically telling us that this is a vehicle that is going to take our bodies offline and also sever our ties to the world. I just wanted to throw in a little quote. I studied a lot of the work of Marshall McLuhan. One of his great uh, sayings is the medium is the message. And some people might be familiar with it. One thing that he said, and he was kind of like the media ecologist of the 1960s and really understood what happens when we mediate our experience of the world. And he said that once we have surrendered our senses and nervous system to the private manip- uh, manipulation of those who would try to benefit from taking lease on our eyes, ears, and nerves, we really don't have any rights left at all. Leasing our eyes and ears and nerves to commercial interests is like handing over the common speech to a private corporation or like giving the Earth's atmosphere to a company as a monopoly. I, I just think Marshall McLuhan uh, really saw how the technologies can control our opinions and our view of the world and also our bodies. And the end game of the automobile is literally that, the takeover of our landscape and us through this machine. Why not choose something that's really a mindful choice of continuing to engage in the world in the way we know is most helpful for us? And at the same time, so much fun and engaging you know, for the rest of the world. Yes, there is so much food for thought there. Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun to talk to you. I love your passion and enthusiasm and all of the work that you're doing in Vermont. Well, thanks for making this possible. And I think it's a great thing that you're doing and uh, good luck with that. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find the show notes at familypedals.com where you'll find links to everything we mentioned. Be sure to check out the V-Bike site, which features great articles and information about cargo biking and electric assist technology. You can also find me on Instagram at Family Pedals. If you enjoyed the show, I would so appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It is an easy way to support the show and help more people find it. Next time, Rachel Jonat, aka The Minimalist Mom, will join me to talk about the intersection of minimalism and active transportation as well as what she's learned about biking as a family in very different locations, abroad, in Vancouver, and now in small-town British Columbia. I hope you'll join me then for the last episode of 2017.